I want to begin with a story that appeared years ago in the Washington Post. It's about a doctor by the name of Daniel McNeely. He was a pediatric neurosurgeon in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And in his, action, in his interaction with, uh, with patients, he was always um, answering questions from, from nervous parents and nervous uh, kids, if you will. And uh, at this particular point in time, he got a specific request for a child as he was being wheeled into the, uh, into the surgery uh, room. And this is what the, the eight-year-old little boy said this. He said, my bear is ripped. Please stitch him up. The boy identified as Jackson Mackay had a cyst on his brain in a chronic condition called hydrocephalus, according to the global news. The, the, the surgery was to drain fluid and relieve pressure on the brain. McNeely assured the boy he would, and he took the task very seriously. After McNeely performed surgery on the boy's brain, he placed the bear on a table, put on blue gloves, and used the leftover stitches from the child's surgery to repair an underarm tear on on the bear. Then in another first, McNeely, who had never tweeted before, uh, went on Twitter to post a photo of the moment that had been captured by a resident. And this is what he wrote. Patient asks if I can also fix teddy bear just before putting him off to sleep. How could I say no? He's one of the nicest human beings I've ever met, Jackson's father, Rick Mackay, said of McNeely. Mackay and his son were thrilled when he woke up to see his stuffed buddy, which he takes with him everywhere he goes, had been stitched up just like him. Mackay said his family deeply appreciates McNeely's medical care over the years, as well as his human touch. When we get there and we're terrified to death, but every time we talk to Dr. McNeely, we feel better. You know, sometimes doctors can be a little rough in their bedside manner. We know that, we probably all experienced that, but what an incredible example of, of how this doctor touched this boy, this family, not just with the, with the, the, the physical aspects of, of the surgery, but, but with his words. You know, they're coming into a situation, a very serious situation with their, with their child, and, and over the course of a time, the, the doctor's words to them offer them hope and security for the situation that they find themselves in. Kindness and gentleness can have an incredible impact on others. And so this morning, we come in our study for, to first living, a study of the fruit of the Spirit, to this concept of, of gentleness. What does gentleness mean? How are we supposed to respond? And what I want to do is I want, simply want to read our text. We've been kind of going through it. We've been going through the fruit of the Spirit one by one. And I just I want to read our text for us this morning. It's Galatians chapter 5 or 22. I hear the word of the Lord. And, and just before I, I, I read this, I, w- I want to remind you, we are not looking for perfection here. We are not looking at trying to be perfect in the way that we respond. What we're trying to do is to realize that, that the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of us. And as we live in the midst of a really difficult culture, where we're divided on so many things, what the Spirit of God wants to do, the Spirit of God wants to help us in those areas, in those interactions with people, interactions with family and friends, where we might be butting heads and maybe allow us to respond in such a way that's different. Listen, to my shame, I can go back and look at conversations that I have with family members. I'm going, Clint, you just weren't very kind. You just weren't very gentle there. 
And, and that's what I believe God wants us to, to see in the fruit of the Spirit, that, that, that as we pursue the righteousness of God that we just spoke about, that God wants to work in and through us in the weaknesses of our life through the Spirit of God. So hear the word of the Lord. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for the, the way that your word just speaks to our hearts, speaks to our minds. Father, it encourages us. And, and Father, from that little example of the doctor, we can see how gentleness and kindness and the words that we speak can have a profound effect on people when they are going through difficult times. Father, every day I would imagine we encounter people going through the difficulties and the challenges of life. And Father, I know that you want us to be instruments of your goodness, instruments of your grace, because you have touched our lives. And Father, you have called us to go out and touch the world. So Father, I pray that this morning you would teach us about the subject of gentleness. And it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. So when we come to the virtue of, of gentleness, you may be thinking, and, and I would probably agree with you, are you kidding me? Are you really being serious, gentleness? You know what happens when you're gentle? You get stepped on. You get walked on. You bring gentleness in a business office, you're going to get walked on all the time. We're not, we're not gentle people. That's not a virtue that we embrace. You've got to be kidding me. There's a gal by the name of Coco Chanel, and I don't know who she is, other than she's influent, very influential in the, in the cosmetic line industry. But I think this quote uh, sums up the thoughts of many people with the idea of gentleness. She said this, gentleness doesn't get work done unless you, unless you happen to be a hen laying eggs. <laughs> you know what? It just doesn't get things done. And what's interesting is this, when you look at the dictionary... It doesn't really help us with the definition. I mean, listen to it, how it's described. Considerate or kindly disposition, amiable and tender, not harsh or severe, mild and soft, easily managed or handled, docile. I mean, words like tender, mild, soft, easily managed, docile, they're not real powerful terms, are they? I mean, imagine, if you will, your, uh, our, our next political election. And as the presidents come forward and they begin to figure out their slogans, this is one of their slogans. Their picture's up front and they have the, uh, uh, the slogan underneath it. Vote for me. I'm very, very gentle. Well, what would you think? Would we put that on, on would we vote for someone like that? Or, or what about, have you ever read a resume that had that virtue? Probably not. Why is it? Because we have a different understanding than the Bible's assessment, if you will, of gentleness. In the Greek culture, uh, the word gentleness and in the passage that we're looking at had the idea of this. It had the idea of something strong but yet being controlled. Uh, it's described in secular Greek writings as this, a, a soothing wind, a healing medicine, and a colt that had been broken. Now think about each of those. There's a certain amount of inherent power in each of those. What needs to be harnessed is the way that it's put out there. When it needs to be controlled, the medicine needs to be under control. A cult needs to be trained. All of those has this idea of what? Power under control, if you will. It has the idea of, of gentleness, but yet being restrained in appropriate times and appropriate circumstances. I, I found this quote that kind of sums up 
the way that it's looked at in Greek culture. And it goes like this. Use a sweet tongue, courtesy and gentleness, that thou mayest manage to guide an elephant by a hair. Gentleness controlled in the right circumstances has the power to transform in a way that other virtues don't. The book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 15, verse 4, notice verse 1 says this, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Listen, there's power in gentleness. There is power in gentleness. In this context, the idea of, of, of wrath is, is anger, a situation where there's opposition. And there's probably expectation that there's going to be a shouting match or there's going to be a confrontation. But the Proverbs, which is about wisdom, says this, a gentle answer turns away wrath. I, I want to give you an illustration um, from the life of, of John Wood. And for those of you that don't know John, many, many years ago, he was a basketball coach at UCLA. But he was more than a basketball coach. He was a man of character. And he had this, uh, this leadership model called uh, the success of leadership, the pyramid of success. And, and Robert Morgan wrote a book, and he put this illustration in there about, uh, from John Wood about his father. And the book was titled, Worry Less, Live More. And here's the illustration. It says, Morgan relates a story from the life of John Wooden, one of the most revered coaches in the history of college basketball, who credited much of his success to his dad. He recalled a boyhood occasion when he watched his father deal with a certain situation. His rural Indiana county would pay local farmers to take teams of mules or horses into the gravel pits scattered throughout the county and haul out loads of gravel. Some pits were deeper than others, and sometimes it was hard for a team to pull a wagon filled with gravel out through the wet sand and the steep incline. One steamy day, summer day, wrote Wooden, a young farmer was trying to get his team of horses to pull a fully loaded wagon out of the pit. He was whipping and cursing those beautiful plow horses, which, which were frothing at them out, stomping and pulling back from him. The elder Wooden watched for a while, then went over to the young man and said this, let me take him for you. Dad started talking to the horses, almost whispering to them and stroking their noses with a soft touch. Then he walked between them, holding their bridles and bits, while they continued talking very calmly and gently. As they settled down, gradually he stepped in front of them and gave a little whistle to start them moving forward while he guided the reins. Within moments, those two big plow horses pulled the wagon out of the gravel pit as easy as it could be done as if they were happy to do it. And this is what John Wooden said. I've never forgotten what I saw and how he did it. Over the years, I've seen a lot of leaders act like that angry young farmer who lost control. So much more can easily be accomplished by dad's calm, confident, and steady approach. Wooden took an incredible lesson from that day, and this is what he said. It takes strength inside to be gentle on the outside. See, I think gentleness has the idea of what? It's strength or power under control. And, and what, what the Bible wants us to do is, is the Bible wants to embrace this, this quality, this virtue of gentleness, this idea of, of humility, this idea of meekness, this idea of considerateness. And, and, and Paul would take that understanding of it and he would apply it to our, our lives. He would write this to the young man, Timothy, about how gentleness is to be lived out in the context of relationships. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, notice what he writes, what Paul writes to Timothy, he said this, about us, the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, 
not resentful. And notice what it says in verse 25. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct with the hope that God will grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. In the context of opposition, in the context of maybe a quarrel, in the context of a difficult conversation, what he says, listen, I, I want you to be kind to everyone. And rather than retaliating, rather responding in anger, I want you to what? gently instruct, unfold the word of God, unfold truth to them so that maybe God will give them the opportunity to repent, if you will. And I believe what God wants to do, God, through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, he wants to teach us and remind us of this incredible virtue of gentleness. And I think it is absolutely critical in light of the context in which we live our lives. We are so divided in so many ways. It's easy for us to become angry. It's easy for us to become unsettled in the conversations that we have. And what Paul would remind us is, is this. In, in the Bible, he'd remind us of, of the life of Jesus and the way that Jesus responded to other people. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he says this. Paul writes, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid with you when face to face, but bold when I am away. What Paul is doing in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he's defending his apostleship. He's defending the way that he came to the city and the way that he responded. And you notice what he said? He said, I take my cue upon Jesus, based upon the meekness of Jesus, on the character of Jesus, on the goodness and the kindness of Jesus. I appeal to you on his behalf. In other words, I'm looking to Jesus and who he is and what he's done for my life. And how to respond to other people. So I've attended myself in my apostolic ministry. Jesus would simply tell his followers in Matthew chapter 11 these words. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That's what Paul's saying. Learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What we want to do is we want to learn from the life of Jesus. One of the most gentle and kind-hearted yet speaking the truth in love people to ever walk the face of the earth. So what I want to do is I simply want to look at two examples from the life of Jesus, and then I want to unfold what this might look like in our lives, gentleness might look like in our lives. First example from the life of Jesus, you've got to go back to his birth. You've got to go back to his birth. God coming to us in human flesh. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, notice what he says. Notice what Paul writes. Describing Jesus, describing the life of Jesus, describing the incarnation, Jesus coming into the world. Notice what it says. Who, Jesus, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but, what he, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. What Paul is describing is the incarnation that at birth God took on human flesh. God came to earth and his life is an example of gentleness and kindness and meekness in the midst of life. When we look for a king to be born of royalty, we instead find what? A baby born to a peasant girl wrapped in cloth strips and what? Lying in a feeding trough. That's the God that we love, the God that we serve. When we look to Jesus to take the world by storm, to win over those who have power, prestige, and position, we find him speaking ever so gently and ever so kindly to a Samaritan woman, to the lepers, and to the hurting and 
and, and to the people of outcasts in society. When we know that uh, when we when knowing that people were coming to persuade him to, uh, to, to persuade him to become king and they're wanting to be king. What does he do? He, he gently and quietly slips out because it was not time to be called a king. We, we look for him to make his move, walking into the city of Jerusalem. The king has come, power to destroy all of those authorities, all of those people that opposed him. We have this picture of, of Jesus coming into the city on a donkey. Matthew chapter 21 verse 5 says this, Say to the daughter of Zion, see what your king comes to you gently in riding on a donkey, on a call the foal of a donkey. That's the nature and the character of Jesus who left the wonder and the glory of heaven to come to us in gentleness and considerateness and meekness and humility. On his last night on earth, he gathered his followers around him in the upper room with the expectation of the plans for the future. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. And what does he do? What is the first thing he does to show them the fullest extent of his love? He wraps a, a, a towel around him and he washes in humility. He washes all of their feet to demonstrate his compassion, his kindness and his love to them. When he's arrested, instead of calling on an army of angels to rescue him and to free him, from the power brokers, what does he do? He simply remains silent. Why? Because Jesus was the ultimate power in control in the way that he responded. And I believe when you look at the life of Jesus and the way that he interacted with people, you see the very purpose of his coming. In the, in the Gospel of Mark, it says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, what? but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for all. He came to offer himself as a sacrifice for sin. And all that he did, the way that he interacted with people, and all the things that he did to point people ultimately to his purpose in coming, offering himself as a uh, sacrifice for sin on the cross. The second example is it's a more practical one. It's recorded in the Gospel of John. He's having this conversation with all of the religious leaders, and they march this woman in front of him. They said, this woman's been caught in adultery, in the very act of adultery. What do you say that we do? They were ready to stone her. They were ready to uh, apply the law, apply God's word to this situation. They were ready to, to grab these stones and to stone her. Jesus, what do you think that we should do? Jesus simply looks down and he begins to draw and write on the, on the sand. And all of a sudden they begin to leave, the oldest to the youngest, and soon they were all gone. And, and what does Jesus say to her? This is what he said. There's no one here to condemn you. I don't condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. Clearly she was guilty. And Jesus knew that. She'd been caught in the very act of adultery. But he saw a person who needed to be restored. And with gentleness, he spoke words of comfort and correction to her in such a way that she could radically change her life. Go and sin no more of the words that Jesus spoke. Truthful, yet very kind and gentle words. So there's no doubt when we look to the, to the person of Jesus, in him coming to earth, the, the lifestyle that he lived, the things that he did, the way that he interacted with people, there is this kindness and there's this gentleness in the midst of opposition that we can learn from. So with that in mind, the background of Jesus' life and his ministry, let me just draw, if I can, a couple of responses to, for us this morning. Two responses. 
One is our attitude, and the second is our, is our actions. So look at, let's look at gentleness, if you will, in the context of our attitude. I want my attitude to be reflected with gentleness toward other people, if you will. And, and I'm talking about my relationship with the Lord. I'm talking ultimately about who I am, my response to the Spirit of God as He continues to work in my life. Am I humbly and meekly responding to the authority of God in my life or am I bucking that tradition? What is my attitude to correction in my life? Notice what James writes in James chapter 1, verse 21. James is a practical book about wisdom. You know, James gets to the point of saying, here's the way that we are to respond in, 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 in challenging and difficult situations. And, and James chapter 1, notice what he writes. He says, therefore get rid of all moral filth. And all the evil that is so prevalent. And what? Humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Humbly accept the word planted in you. First of all, notice it's a different word. But the Greek word humbly means this. It means mildness. It means meekness. And it means gentleness. It has to do with a, with a teachable spirit. A teachable spirit that is meek and controlled. Without resentment. Without anger. And therefore... Is able to, to face the truth, even when it, even when it hurts. When, when someone comes to me and says this, or someone corrects me in this way, it's not reacting in anger, it's reacting in humility and meekness and gentleness, and, and having eyes to see and ears to hear, and, and, and listening to those people, to what they would have to say about the correction of my life. A teachable spirit is not blinded by its own prejudices of what they see, but is open in responding to the truth of what God would have for us. A teachable spirit is not seduced by laziness, but is self-controlled, and that is willingly submits itself to the authority, the divine authority of God's word. I'm going to pursue certain things in my life because I want to lay myself under the authority of God's word, if you will. And the Bible says the word implanted in you describes the humility and the control of everything that's on the inside of us with the idea of placing myself under the authority of God's word. God, what is it that you would have in my life toward the word of God? Am I humbly submitting myself to the word of God and allowing the truth of God's word to speak to my heart and mind in situations? The second attitude, I, I believe, the, the Bible points us to with this idea of gentleness is my attitude toward others. What is my attitude toward other people? To all other people, not just the people that are close to me, my family and friends. Oh, gentleness, again, is a characteristics of a wise person in the book of James. James chapter 3, verse 13 says this, who is wise and understanding? Do we consider ourselves wise and understanding? Well, of course, most of us probably do. But notice what he says. Let him show by his good life, a good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. Uh, again, notice the word is translated humility. The power of pride is what placed under the authority of God's word. And those are the things that we do in humility and kindness and gentleness toward other people. Well, we need to hear this because we live in the context of relationships. I mean, wisdom is no good if I'm a hermit living on an island with nobody else. But you and I live in a context of relationships. I have a spouse, I have family, I have friends. I have all of these people that I come in contact with sometimes on a daily basis. And I want to respond in such a way that is submissive to the world and yet is wise in the way that I deal with other people. 
And I want to be able to be kind and gentle and loving and caring and all of these descriptions here. And I need to be able to do that. And I need to be praying that prayer, asking that the Holy Spirit of God would work in me these virtues of kindness, gentleness, not only for myself, but for the sake of others. So taking our cue from the life of Jesus, we would respond in such a way that I'm submitting myself to the divine authority of God's word. And I'm I'm pursuing gentleness and kindness in my attitude toward, toward other people. The second area of gentleness is the way that I respond. The way that I respond to other people. I want to talk about three things. I want to talk about what we wear. I want to talk about our words. I want to talk about our witness. Three things in our actions. First of all, what we wear. Not everything in life goes my way. Not everything in life goes my way. God did not create me. God did not create us so that we get everything we want. Man, sometimes my wife and I get a little cross-eyed. Sometimes I get a little cross-eyed with other people. But how am I going to respond to that? Do I get angry? Do I get upset? And do I just say, well, I'm, I'm not going to deal with them anymore. I'm just going to shut them off. I'm going to put my hand up. And I'm just going to walk around. I'm going to do the silent treatment. The Bible gives us some really straightforward and great advice for how we are to respond. And gentleness is something that, that, that we need to put on and clothe ourselves with every day. In the book of Colossians, in the context of relationships, notice what Paul writes. He says, therefore is God's chosen people. And by the way, notice how many times this concept of gentleness and, and patience and kind, notice how they often go together and humility. And notice how a lot of times they're coupled together. Paul writes this, therefore is God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves, put on, wear, if you will, compassion and kindness, and humility, and gentleness, and patience. All of those wonderful virtues. In other words, Clint, it's something that you need to be mindful of, and you need to put on like you would maybe a shirt or a jacket. Wear it in your relationships with other people. And by the way, it talks about preserving the unity of the body of Christ and the way that we respond to other people. And I remember someone once told me, Clint, you're, not, you're, you're pretty harsh at times. I was shocked. Well, you know what? Sometimes I am. And sometimes I need people to remind me that you don't have to be that harsh. You can be kind. You can be gentle. In the book of Ephesians chapter 2, um, chapter 4 verse 2 says this. Notice what Paul writes again. Be completely humble and gentle. Notice how they go together. Humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with another in love. You know what the idea of bearing with one another in love means? It means, it means to be patient and endure with people who are difficult to get along with. People that maybe do this with or you chafe against. I, I, I'm, I'm to bear up with them. I can't just write them off. I can't just ignore them. I can't do that. God has not called us to do that. God has called us to live in a way that emulates the life of Jesus. Be imitators of Jesus. Be imitators of God. And we're to be gentle and kind to other people. Can I give you a, an illustration of one of the, the most difficult days in my life as a youth pastor? This scared me to death. So from 1991 to 1999 or so, I was a youth pastor for a bunch of years. And I, I had the great privilege of working with an incredible team. I mean, they were committed to our youth. They taught. I mean, they were just like our, our youth ministry team here. They were just good, godly people. And I had a group of women who were really good, great, godly people. But they were strong women. And they had no 
problems sharing their thoughts, opinions, ideas, not only with each other, but with me, and I loved it. So one time I found out that, okay, there's a breach, something's going on. We've got three of these gals, and they're just not, they're not having fun with each other. And I'm going to be honest with you, I was scared to death. I had no idea what to do, other than maybe quit and go someplace else. <laughs> I did the only thing that I knew what to do. I called them on the phone, and I said, listen, I want to meet in my office. And I want to talk through this. And that's what we did. We sat in my office back there, us four all together. And with humility... And with gentleness, we spoke the truth in love and we communicated to each other. We communicated the things that we were frustrated at. We, we spent an hour or so walking through this to, to know and understand how we can preserve the relationship, how we can continue to work together, and how we can move forward in this. And at the end of the day, guess what? It preserved the relationship and it preserved the ministry. And I have never forgotten that day. I believe one of them was ready to say, listen, I'm walking away from all this if this doesn't go the way that I think that it should. It was such an incredible day in my life and it taught me the important lesson of being able to stop and to talk it out. And the way that I respond, the way that we respond is so important. By the way, those three gals are still friends and some of them are the best of friends. What a wonderful opportunity many years ago to breach this relationship that could have ended and probably could have ended not only some ministry time together but also relationships together we need to wear this concept of gentleness with our spouses with our family with our friends with our children we need to wear it we need to put it on and that's what the spirit of god wants to do the second action that we can do is this the words that we use Imagine going back to that illustration of the doctor. The words that he used were incredibly kind. And when, when, when your child is suffering and when your child is hurting, you are banking on every word that a doctor would say. And you would take that as the gospel. And this family learned that this, the bedside manner of this doctor, what he would say was kind and gentle and it gave them hope, probably speaking the truth in love, if you will, but it gave them hope. And our words, the words that we use with each other can have a profound effect for positive or good. Proverbs 15, chapter one, we looked at earlier, it says a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs it up. And how many of us want to be treated in a rude way, in an unkind way? I, mean, I don't think any of us do. Or what about those of you in a position of authority, position of power, position of responsibility? You know, you, you, you may have the upper hand because of some place you're at with them, but are, are you demonstrating gentleness and kindness to those that you work with, the way that you respond to? You can do that. We can do that. The Bible wants our relationship to be marked by this concept of gentleness because the Spirit of God is working in and through us, even in the midst of difficulties and challenges of life. Chuck Swindoll, let me just describe what Chuck Swindoll wrote about this concept of gentleness. A summary, if you will. I think it's on the screen. In our rough and rugged individualism, we think of gentleness as weakness, being soft and virtually spineless, not so. Gentleness includes such enviable qualities as having strength under control being calm and peaceful when surrounded by a heated atmosphere, emitting a soothing effect on those who may be angry, 
In other words, beside themselves and possessing tact and gracious courtesy that causes others to retain their self-esteem and dignity. Instead of losing the gentle gain, instead of being ripped off and taken advantage of, they come out ahead. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29. You want to hear about the power of your words? Listen to what Paul wrote. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I'm going to speak words that are helpful. I'm going to speak words that benefit and build up the other person. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to speak words that will add into their life. Those might be hard and truthful words, but they're done in a spirit of gentleness, looking out for myself, wanting to respond in such a way that demonstrates the spirit of God inside of me. So we act in gentle ways. We wear this idea of gentleness. We use words that are kind and gentle. And the last thing is this. In our witness to unbelievers, we need to be gentle. Man, I can't tell you how many times you've been talking, we've been talking with someone, and sometimes the conversation with an unbeliever gets heated. Man, I had a conversation not too long ago with a, with a family member. And even though I thought the conversation was kind and gentle and loving, they took it in an entirely different way and thought that I was confronting them, that I was maybe making fun of their life. It's not that I was doing it. It's easy to see those things bit twisted a little bit. Peter, the man who denied Jesus, gives us some helpful understanding of how we are responding in the context of unbelievers. Notice he writes in 1 Peter chapter 3. It says this, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. I, I take that idea, always be prepared. That Listen, sometimes I need to do a little homework. It's okay to learn. It's okay to get online and find some really good resources about how defend, to defend our, our faith. There's some really wonderful resources out there to be able to do that. So be prepared. That's a good thing to do. Challenge our mind. But notice how he says this. But do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. In other words, maintain the relationship by being kind and gentle, speaking the truth in love, knowing and recognizing that they are not really mad and upset at you. If they are persecuting you, ultimately they're persecuting Jesus and the words that Jesus would have. If they hate me, they're going to hate you. And we are simply, merely, hopefully reflecting the life of Jesus. So we have this wonderful virtue of gentleness that hopefully is a part of our attitude and a part of our actions toward other people. And I don't know if you wrestle with that. I'm going to be honest with you. You know, for me, going through the fruit of the Spirit and studying about each of these love, joy, peace, patience, kindness... It, it, it is challenging my inner life. It's challenging my understanding of other people. It's challenging the way that I respond. And what you and I hopefully have is the Spirit of God inside of us to remind us that He wants to work in and through us in our weakness. When we are, when we are, uh, when we are weak, He wants to work through us uh, through His strength. Father, thank You for Your goodness. Father, I thank You for the life of Jesus. 
Father, I thank you that we can read and study and look at how he dealt with people, how he dealt with hard people, how he dealt with difficult circumstances. Uh, Father, how he humbled himself and he came and offered himself as a sacrifice for our sin so that the Spirit of God would come and live inside of us to help us to, to live the kind of life that would be pleasing to you. And so, Father, I, I just pray that the Spirit of God would continue to work in and through us, Lord. God, that we would humbly place ourselves under the authority of God's Word. We'd place ourselves un, under the authority of other people. That our goal would be wanting to have the, the mind of Christ and the heart of Christ and to be conformed into the image of Jesus. So, Father, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would work in and through us. And it's the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.